Hi, Jeremy. It's the Prime Minister. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM. We're broadcasting slash podcasting from Calgary on Treaty 7 land. This is the home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina Nation, and the Stony Nakoda Nation, along with Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. It's the morning of Monday, July 5th, and Calgary City Council is meeting to decide what to do about the city's mask bylaw. Jeremy Appel, the Sprawl's municipal politics reporter, shows up at City Hall, but realizes he's forgotten his swipe card at home. This is the card that lets him inside the building. So he's stuck outside with a bunch of anti-maskers as he tries to finagle away inside for the council meeting. So what does our intrepid reporter do? He texts his editor, who very kindly drives down to let him inside the building. But in the meantime, Appel looks around the plaza in front of City Hall and hears someone singing a familiar song. The song is Creep by Radiohead. But this is no Tom York. This is Larry Heather, the perennial fringe candidate for mayor in Calgary. And he's doing an anti-mask parody of the Radiohead classic, singing about people being sheep. Stuck outside, Appel pulls out his iPhone and records this sad and depressingly skillful performance. He posts the video to Twitter, where it kind of goes viral. Eventually he gets inside and follows the city council meeting. And that's that. Jeremy Appel is inside, and Calgary City Council votes to end the mask bylaw. Two days later, Wednesday, July 7th, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in town on what sure looks like an electioneering tour. The Prime Minister has a big announcement scheduled at a Calgary transit facility that afternoon. And our hero shows up to this one too. But while he arrives well before the presser starts, he gets there a few minutes after the rest of the other local journalists are let inside. And he tries to explain who he is and who he's with, but the person at the gate has never heard of the sprawl, and isn't convinced that Jeremy Appel is press. And so our reporter once again finds himself outside the main event, stuck with anti-maskers yet again. And this time, he's mad. He's mad that he doesn't have his City Hall swipe card with him, even though that's not really press credentials per se. And the journalists who went in before him weren't asked for press credentials either. And he's mad about being kept out of the event because the gatekeeper is unfamiliar with the internationally renowned publication that is The Sprawl, which is very obviously read by people the world over. And so he fires off a series of tweets writing that he's livid about being kept outside the Prime Minister's press conference when he's a local journalist. It's the second time in a week that he's been in this position, and so he finds himself at a bit of a crossroads. Is it his lot in life to be forever stuck outside with anti-maskers? 
Will he be forced to look on while his journalistic colleagues land all the big stories and interviews? Well, it turns out he did manage to talk to someone of some alleged importance. We'll hear that later in this episode, but first let's talk about the Green Line. Because despite the marquee press conferences, it's often not the big-name politicians who make projects like this happen. Often it's the people who don't make it into the headlines. Councillor Shane Keating was first elected to Calgary City Council in 2010. At that time, Calgary City Hall was planning for two different transit projects. One was a new busway for North Central Calgary, and the other was called the Setway, or Southeast Calgary Transitway. And these were viewed as two separate projects, bus routes that would eventually be converted into LRT sometime in the faraway future. Fast forward to 2013. That year, the city had a property tax windfall of $52 million. When the city collects property taxes each year, it does so for both the municipality and the province. And in 2013, the province took $52 million less than expected, so the city had this extra $52 million. A lot of Calgarians wanted city council to refund the money to citizens, but Councillor Shane Keating wasn't a fan of that. He pushed for the money to be put into transit instead, and council decided to allocate $52 million a year to the project that we now know as the Green Line. And since that time, Councillor Keating has steadfastly championed the project and led it through all sorts of political hurdles. The most recent hurdle was that the province put the project on hold until this week when all three levels of government announced that construction would finally start this fall. That's what the Prime Minister was in town to announce. Well, more of a re-announcement really. The feds were good for the $1.5 billion that the Harper government had committed to the Green Line in 2015. The real news was that the Kenny government was finally unpausing the project. Before the big Green Line announcement this week, Jeremy Appel sat down with Councillor Keating for this interview. Think of this as the opening act before the headliner coming up later in the show. For for starters, how would you uh, how how would you characterize your politics? Like, are you a centrist, sort of a bit center right, center like? Um, yeah, I always try and and uh, pretend that I, I I don't have any politics, um, and I wish you know, and, and I throw the word pretend in there because um, you have to have some sort of basis, um, but definitely and. Um, I will go back to one of the specific sayings that I've used and I, I continue to use is I will fight for my ward, um, but not at the detriment of the city. Um, and uh, that means you're making choices on a um, topic all the time. And if you do the research and if you continue to, to make sure that you're making decisions. Now, uh, everyone has to have a, a, a starting point. Um, and, and I will use the the small the small C conservative. Um, definitely, I mean, in growing up in small town Saskatchewan, coming from a family of eleven children, um, you didn't have a lot, and so you made sure what what you did have um, was well worth it and, and well thought out and well spent. Um, you know, so I mean, uh, 
that definitely was part of where I was. I, uh, I often use a, uh, another saying that I think the city has to operate like a business. In other words, you're talking about efficiency, you're talking about well-spent money, and, and you're talking about research and doing it uh, as best you can. Um, but then you have to behave like a service organization. Um, in other words, then you're, then you're talking about making decision, decisions, um, not because of the dollar and cents uh, aspect, because of the betterment of, you know, of the community. Um, and if you can balance all of those things, uh, then I think uh, you're coming back to that as much as you can say a centrist with, with a view that we, we got to be very, very, very mindful of how we're spending the money. Um, but uh, you have to spend it as best you can. And, and, and I'll throw a little tidbit in for the green line because um, the green line, and not that I've ever talked about the green line before. but um, Yeah, how did you know that yeah, was my next question? Yeah, yeah. Um, the green line came about because um, of a, a little bit of tax room left by the province. And I know there was uh, people before me in my position who would have never, ever voted uh, the way I did. Um, but I voted because number one, it didn't change your overall tax bill. Um, what it did is it paid more to the city and less to the province. Um, but your, if your bill was $3,000, it, it stayed at $3,000. It just meant that uh, $1,540 went to the city and, and $1,460 went to the province. Um, but there are those who would have never done that. They would have never voted because of ideological, uh, you know, our, our, and you vote no on everything. Um, and uh, without that vote, we wouldn't be anywhere near uh, doing what we're doing now. Um, so that comes back to that uh, behaving like a service organization. Uh, um, until it was coming to that point, I mean, I, I had a, a hard time. Uh, wrapping my head around the the tax room issue because the city um, they did have a policy that says we take it and then we decide what to do with it and I said I can't do that um, I said yeah, that was a blanket that was a that was put in by one of the previous aldermen um, and and I had to change that before I could make my vote um, so I got rid of that policy and saying you must you must come out and you talk about the issue first you talk about is there an absolute need where you can do it. You dedicate that. Um, um, you dedicate that money specifically to that project, and then you put an end date on it, um, so it isn't just gone into general revenues and lost, and then people wonder where it is. Um, the the fifty two million dollars, every dollar can be accounted for, and it's gone straight to the green line. Um, you know, so uh, in my view, that made it very worthwhile, the decision. So uh, centralists with a, um, a willingness to look at the, the needs of this community, the needs of the society, um, as well as uh, back of the brain thoughts. This is don't waste money if you don't have to. But you would say Green Line is such an investment that it justifies the, the cost. Without, without question. Um, I mean, every time we've done anything in, in public transit, it, it has uh, paid off in spades as time goes on. So, I mean, uh, no matter which way you look at it, and no matter where you are, um, it's an investment for the future, and that investment is wisely spent. Why aren't you running again? Oh, I, I, I do believe that um, 
there's a number of them, but I, I would say the first and foremost um, is that uh, we should we should have a, a time limit, in my view, um, for me anyway. I mean, there may be others who can stay much longer, but I, I believe in, in many cases three terms is is long enough. And so part of it, that's I, I have that firm belief uh, to start with is that you you come in this job, you do the best you can while you're there, and then you must know when it's time to leave. Um, the, the second part is 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 I will be 66, um, you know, the same month as uh, when I'm done, and I, I'm thinking that's for me. Uh, I've got grandchildren I want to spend time with, and uh, uh, I'm presently now turning down invites, um, you know, to things like uh, July 1st and a number of these, and uh, you can only do those for so long. Um, you're missing time with with other people if you continually do public life where you're somewhat expected uh, to be everywhere all the time. Um, and then the third thing is, is, is we well know, and, and I've never hidden it, is is my wife ended up with a diagnosis of cancer, and, and we're going through that. It's it's all over with and doing well now, but it's something you deal with. And I and I think that means that you know it is time to hang hang the hat up and move on as well. I think that's what we should be doing is is propping up better and better people to come after you. And I think now's the time because someone is going to have to have a more energy and everything else to fight to get the rest of the green line built. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, would you characterize the green line as your biggest accomplishment on council? Cause I think that is probably a uh, yeah. common perception. Yeah, no, you know, and, and uh, I don't mind saying it, uh, you know, out loud a few times that, um, I consider myself the father of the green line for sure. Um, you know, it, uh, it has been talked about for decades. There's no question of there. Um, but coming back to that one decision, um, and, and had I followed the um, heavy conservative thought is that you don't do a thing uh, about taxes and you make them as low as possible all the time, um, we wouldn't be here talking about. Uh, and, you know, when we first did it, we actually uh, took it for 10 years um, just to get a busway so we could have an express busway so that the buses would go on their own roadways. They wouldn't even go. Um, you know, because that was part of the problem. Uh, you take a bus from uh, the BRT from from down south uh, in Ward 12 and it took you an hour to get to the city because they had to travel in, in the congestion that we have on the roads. Um, you know, so you had to change that. So we took it as a busway first. Then when the federal government came on, we changed it and expanded it to 30 years uh, to give us the 1.5 billion. And, and then finally the province. So now we're we're actually talking about a. They keep saying it's the largest infrastructure project in the history of Alberta, um, and uh, I'm, I'm shake my head sometimes when I see that. But certainly for the city, but I don't. I don't know about the whole province. Do you have any regrets from your time on council? Uh, you would have to say no. I mean, there there's some decisions that you say. Gosh, I wish I had, you know, maybe done, and I can't even remember what they are, um, you know, but they, uh, I know, and I've mentioned them in council, I said, oh, I think it was a bit of a mistake that we did this this way, but it it wasn't a detrimental mistake, probably just could have had a, had a better um, look and a better muse. So um, as far as my overall um, contribution and, and my voting and everything, uh, no, I don't think there's any regrets there because I... I voted yes and no according to each topic that came up, and I did the research for each 
each topic that came up. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's exactly where it should be. And uh, finally, uh, last question. Um, you've been on council for 11 years, um, as you said before. Um, how has political discourse shifted uh, from 2010 when you were elected, uh, same time as Mayor Nenshi, who's also uh, calling it quits for the election? Um, yeah, so uh, how, how has the conversation changed? Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I guess to put it in true, absolutely um, perspective is it's gone down the toilet uh, and, that, and that's where a lot of the behavior belongs. Um, we've seen uh, an outright negativity uh, view of many things and I've used it in council and there are individuals on council today, um, you know, many Trumps um, who run around tearing down your sandcastle um, so that theirs is the highest, rather than trying to build theirs up, uh, and that's the detriment. And we and it's it's open and honest, um, and people in some cases aren't even hiding it. Um, you know the the half truths and the weaponized misinformation and and the style of uh, um, willing to get there. And 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 there is a bit of a philosophy of a um, political aspect. <clears throat> where a strategy you might say, well, and one is you do nothing but attack the incumbent. And, and then the, the other one is that you run around and you prop up those who are against something um, because people who are mad often remember more than those who are happy. Um, and if that's all you're doing is chasing the no aspect or the no camp, um, then you're really not doing much other than looking after uh, the politics. And um, I, I've said many times in my career that I consider myself an elected official. Uh, and there's a fine line uh, between an elected official and a politician, um, but there's a vast difference in mentality and behavior. And uh, we've gone to Trump style politics, negative style politics, um, and I'll do anything to get elected uh, and uh, sort of dispel the truth. Um, rather than actually make good choices and stand on your record. And what, what happened? I mean, because uh, you're suggesting that that wasn't the case in 2010 when you were first election, what, elected. What, what happened there? Well, I, I think the first term, you're, you're absolutely right. We, uh, we had a group of six individuals that came on board. You had a group there that were there. Um, and I don't think any of them really aspire to be that style. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, then the two following elections uh, elected individuals and in many cases that had um, ideologies that stuck. Um, in some cases, they were so tied to the provincial government that they couldn't do anything without asking permission. Um, in other cases, they had alternative motives like running for mayor and, and that took precedent over absolutely anything. Um, and uh, those individuals, like I said, if, if you're an individual who is willing to knock down your neighbor's sandcastle so yours is bigger, um, you know, that's, that's a mentality of not meant for politics. And I, I know I told you two questions ago, it's my last question, but um, actual last question, did that play a role 
this 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 sort of growing negativity in Calgary municipal municipal politics. Did that play a significant role in your decision to uh, not seek re-election? I mean, I know your wife was unwell and you've yeah. been on council for a while, but was that was was this coarseness of discourse also a factor? Yeah, I wouldn't say significant, but definitely a factor. Um, you know, I, I can, and I did had said this, you know, that I truly enjoyed the first term. Um, you know, now mind that I was learning and I was, you know, going through and and uh, I, I was so heavily involved in way too many things because I was trying to learn. Um, and then the, the second term was a little bit, uh, you know, moving that way, but not drastic. Um, and that's where I got things done. The green line was put in and, and a number of the rec centers and all of that, you know, and that um, I really did not enjoy this last term. Um, you know, it it bothered me. And, and I'm the type of individual that if I have conflict with someone, I would like to resolve it um, rather than avoid it and, you know, and continue. Um, there are certain things that unfortunately with this one, you can't resolve just because of mentality and, and willingness to, to continue doing the same behavior. Um, so it definitely took the enjoyment out of the position. And once you don't enjoy doing something, um, you, you better get away from it pretty fast. Um, you know, because it, it has the other detriments, whether it's on your, uh, your well-being or your health or, or just your outlook, you know, in life in general. So um, it certainly played a role in my acceptance and, and not, uh, uh, not being too sorry I'm leaving. Um, but, you know, I wish things were better. And maybe with this next election, we can do that. Awesome. That's a great place to end on. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Councillor Keating. And uh, hope uh, you get to relax a bit in, uh, you know, come October. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward as well. And, and thanks for all that you do as well. Thank you. Yeah. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Now it's time for the other interview. Like I said earlier, Jeremy Appel couldn't get into the Prime Minister's Calgary press conference on Wednesday. And after we tweeted about it, the PMO called both him and me to apologize for the mix-up. When I spoke with Trudeau's communications director, I asked if we could do a short interview with the Prime Minister since we couldn't get into the presser. I figured, hey, doesn't hurt to ask. Well, that brings us to the morning of Friday, July 9th. Welcome to Sprawlcast, Mr. Trudeau. Thanks it's for doing this. It's a pleasure this. to be here. Uh, we don't have much time, so I'm just going to go right into my questions. Sounds great. You were in Calgary this week to confirm Green Line funding that Jason Kenney first announced when he was federal minister in 2015. Kenney's government is also funding this project, of course. Um, why wasn't the premier beside you and Mayor Nenshi at your announcement this week? Uh, Jeremy, I think uh, that's a, a question you're probably better asking the premier. Uh, one of the things I can say is from the very beginning, we've been there. Uh, to be a partner with uh, the province and especially the city on the Green Line. Uh, it's been talked about for, for a long, long time, as you well know. Uh, but uh, we were there and not just with, with an announcement, as uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the uh, prior to 2015 press release that the uh, Conservatives had put out. We actually booked the money. We actually are there for the investments. And we've been a steady partner uh, the whole way along to get to the point where uh, putting shovels in the ground this fall is uh, is the reality. 
uh, you know, the, the province, uh, I think you you know, had uh, had some uh, uh, delays and so had some back and forths. But uh, we're glad that we're we're finally all there and we're moving forward. How would you characterize your relationship with Jason Kenney? Well, I think one of the things that that was really remarkable about this pandemic was the fact that we had over 30 first minister meetings virtually uh and uh, we we were able to work on you know keeping canadians safe now obviously there's uh, lots of differences in in perspective on a whole bunch of different uh, you know, on on you know, ways to do that on other issues but I know that Albertans and all Canadians uh, really were reassured to see uh, orders of government working together. And you know, even though we disagree on all sorts of things, and I'm going to keep pushing uh, on you know, things like childcare, things like uh, fighting climate change, uh, and and understanding the economic opportunities, especially for Alberta, uh, if if we're uh, really serious about tackling climate change and, and transforming our economies, um, I'm going to keep fighting for that. And and. You know, I will look to get along uh, with the premier on things that are good for Albertans wherever I can. I'm never looking for a fight. I just uh, know that uh, there are things that we disagree on that I'm going to stay firm on. As I'm sure you're aware, um, there are rumors that there's an election coming this year. Uh, I see you've just recruited uh, Councillor George Chahal to run for you. Uh, lots of Calgarians will no doubt have a more favorable view of you and your government for uh, pushing a popular project forward. How is this announcement not a political maneuver to win some seats in Calgary in the inevitable election? Well, I think, first of all, the business of this government continues and needs to continue. And this is not something that we've uh, decided to make a random announcement. If uh, if there's an election and if you vote for us, maybe we'll get the green line built. No, this is an announcement that that comes after years of really hard work, particularly uh, in partnership with the municipality, with the city of Calgary. Uh, to move ahead on one of their uh, and and Calgarians' big priorities. So it's great that we've got it announced. It's great that we're putting the money forward. It's great that uh, no other government. You know, I mean, we know conservatives are always a little uh, uh, a little less enthused about public transit projects, but the money is there and the agreements are signed. Uh, so regardless of an election, this green line is going to go forward. Uh, that's almost the opposite of an electoral promise uh, or an electoral announcement because we're just in the business of getting the right things done for Calgary and for the rest of the country. I got one last question. I um, tweeted out um, to our followers, if you could ask the prime minister one question, what would it be? And um, I sort of combined the two most popular responses into one question. So here it is. You said in 2015 that it would be the last election under first past the post. It was, of course, not. You promised to end all boil water advisories on First Nations reserves by March 2021, but 58 remain. And you promised to implement all 94 of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations, but 81 are unfulfilled. What do you tell progressive Canadians who don't trust you? Well, I think, first of all, we have to understand that um, we have done an awful lot and we fully recognize there's a lot more to do. On the issue of electoral change, uh, changing our electoral system, I remain passionate about it, but there is 
no consensus out there, and it wouldn't have been right for a government to use its majority uh, to change the very way we uh, elect uh, our members of parliament uh, in 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 a way that didn't have consensus. So I'm uh, I'm frustrated that we weren't able to do that. But uh, as long as there's no consensus, we cannot uh, make that change. Secondly, uh, on reconciliation. Uh, whether it's boil water, I mean, there was 100 boil water advisories when we took office. We've now lifted 108 of them. But yes, uh, there are more that have c- come on and we're going to be eliminating them as we move forward. Uh, we're you know, put more money into it and we're going we're to lift them all. But you have to understand that reconciliation is not something that the federal government can do on its own. Uh, almost by definition, we shouldn't be doing it on our own. Uh, no matter how much the will is there, we need to partner. We need to respect the will of Indigenous communities. We need to make sure that they're in charge of the things that they need changed in, in their approach, whether it's boil water or, more importantly, how we deal with kids in care, for example. Um, residential schools are all about having removed kids from their communities, but child and family services continue to remove kids uh, from their communities and take them out of their language, take them out of their culture, and that has to end. So over the past five years, we've actually worked to co-develop legislation on child and family services in Indigenous communities. And just last week, uh, earlier this week, we were able to announce the first agreement in Calasas uh, First Nations in Saskatchewan that is taking back control of uh, its child and family services from the province. This is a huge step and it's happening and there are more, more to come, but they can only be done in a lasting way, in a way that includes and works at the pace of the Indigenous communities and leadership themselves. So I'm impatient to do even more, even faster, and we're going to continue working on that. But uh, we are also going to do it in the right way, in the respectful way that that the Truth and Reconciliation uh, calls to action demand. Do you have time for a quick follow-up? Sure. Aren't these things um, that you should have known when you were making these promises? that these things, these types of uh, roadblocks would occur, whether it's electoral reform or uh, implementing all the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, recommendations? Of course. And and uh, absolutely, we knew there were going to be challenges and you know, some things, some very big things we got it, we got through, even though we knew they'd be difficult. Putting a, a price on pollution right across the country was extremely difficult, but we got that done despite the resistance of many conservative premiers and conservative politicians in general to it. Uh, uh, I would I would uh, have loved to have uh, done even more, but we've we've got more to do. And and I, I will take no um, criticism for having uh, pushed the system and pushed Canadians uh, to, to go even further than perhaps we were able to. But that just means there's lots more work to do. And uh, we are serious about continuing to stand up for the things that actually matter. Uh, we're not going to promise it can be done in the click of a fingers and, hey, we're going to you know put $100 million into it and end racism by the weekend. You can't do that. You can't transform a society as quickly as everyone would like. You have to do it through regular, engaged, step-by-step, which means you take big steps where you can, but you understand that transforming the way a country works transforming the way a country feels about its Indigenous people and and, and engages with them properly, uh, 
transforms the way we work around climate change. These are things that take uh, take a lot of work by a lot of people working together, and we're going to continue doing it. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Real pleasure, Jeremy. You take care. Hold on. We've got the Prime Minister of Canada on the line, and he didn't say that he had to run yet. So this interview ain't over. Can I can I hop in? Sorry to hop in quickly. If you just yep. have one more second, uh, Prime Minister. Uh, my name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor in chief of the Sprawl. I'm acting as the tech guy here today. Uh, <laughs> but but I wanted to squeeze in one question about uh, the future of Alberta because there's a lot of Albertans right now who see what's going on in their province. You know, see the struggles of the oil and gas industry and have their livelihoods connected to that industry and. Mm-hmm. The province, provincial government has doubled down on that industry. And and so a lot of folks are stuck in this position of being quite fearful about their future. And they're not quite sure about, you know, the province's approach. So my question is, what do you see as the economic future of Alberta? And what would you say to those folks who are in that position of, of being scared about the future? Well, you you point out that the province's commitment is to oil and gas industry. The federal commitment is to people in Alberta, the workers, the families who've made great livings off of the oil and gas industry for many, many years. But we know that with the fight against climate change, with the transformation of our energy mix, with the fact that Canada is going to uh, 100% zero emission vehicles by 2035, for example, those jobs are going to change. And that's why we've been focused on investing in in hydrogen, investing in CCUS, but also pushing hard on transformation of our, our energy mix in all sorts of different ways that is going to require the expertise, the innovation, the hard work, the abilities of workers in the energy sector in Alberta. So the the exact types of jobs are going to uh, are going to vary but the fact that there will be good jobs in the energy sector in alberta because alberta has such expertise on that even as we transform uh, those energy mixes uh, is something that i'm very much focused on earlier this week i made an announcement that we were uh, ending uh, the uh, coal-fired processes uh, at uh, uh, the steel plant in Sault Ste. Marie. It's a big, big investment in electrification. Um, that guarantees the future for that steel plant for decades to come, and not just because of climate change, but because it's improving the, the processes and the ability to compete on a global market. That's what I want to see for Alberta, and that's what Albertans can be optimistic about. The challenge is when you have a government that uh, sees clinging to the ways of the past as the only way to guarantee its own survival, that's not doing any favors for Alberta oil workers or people anywhere in the province. We need to understand the world is changing. It's not a a plot by Trudeau liberals. Uh, We are looking at global investments, uh, being very, very careful about carbon footprints, about about, uh, uh, ethical investments, all these sorts of things. And there's an opportunity to take the expertise and the leadership that Albertans have always shown in their hard work and their innovation and deliver uh, that brighter future. And people are being held back by a government that's still fighting an ideological fight against climate change and not understanding that the world is moving on. And if they don't pivot quickly enough, it's the workers that are going to get hurt 
by their ideological resistance to it, uh, when what we're doing from a federal government is building those jobs and that opportunity to be part of that future uh, for many generations to come. I also asked the Prime Minister about his record on climate change. You know, his government on one hand is supporting projects like the Green Line, and then on the other hand, they go and buy a pipeline. So are they really doing enough on that file? There's always more to do. We have to do more. But what we've been able to do over these past few years is actually, you know, turn the the great ship of Canada uh, towards uh, emissions reductions, towards uh, a transformed uh, economy that is that is decarbonizing. These are the kinds of things that getting that momentum shift from the inertia that we'd had uh, under uh, under you know governments that did not tackle climate change with the right uh, uh, the right focus and energy uh, to now we've got the momentum shifting in the other way whether it's the price on pollution whether it's the home retrofits whether it's the protection of our lands and and oceans these are things that are going to make it progressively easier to continue to be more and more ambitious every single day uh, as a government and as a country and and yes there's lots more to do but. We are doing it, and we're going to continue doing it alongside all Canadians. Well, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Prime Minister. Appreciate your time. Pleasure to talk with you guys. Take good care. All right, take care. End of line. Thanks for listening, and see you again soon. On Sprawlcast today, you heard Jeremy Appel, Councillor Shane Keating, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You can find a full transcript of this episode on our website at sprawlalberta.com. And hey, please sign up as a Sprawl member if you haven't already. We're chasing big stories and big interviews, of course, but we're also putting the finishing touches on our annual print edition that we mail out to members. You have to be a Sprawl member to get a copy, so make sure to sign up at sprawlalberta.com. We rely on crowdfunding to do what we do, so we need your support. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch, and our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.